Jesus, how he took the path of the broken road for us. He took the road of all the suffering, all the agony, all the torment, so we wouldn't have to, so we could be victorious in every area of our life. We talked about brokenness, how brokenness is a key to get to the next level, how it's the price of admission, how it's the password to get to the next level. But it may not be necessary. We talked about how it's not necessarily getting to the next level. It may be you getting past a place of discontentment in your life. It could be something you were struggling with, something that you were believing God for, or it could be someone that you love that you were believing God, praying with them, walking the walk with them to get past that place of discontentment, that area that you may not be satisfied with in your life. We talked about how Jesus took embarrassment and shame on the cross when he was arrested and when he was tried in the public's eye, how he was beaten and how he was shamed for us. And how we talked about we'll never let embarrassment and shame stop us through fear of what other people think about us anymore because Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. We talked about how Jesus was wounded and tormented for our mistakes, failures, and sins. And that no matter how big our mistakes are, how bad our sins are, or how much we think we failed, we don't, we're not seen in God's eyes as a failure. God loves us unconditionally. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm going to put my glasses on. <laughs> I preached all last week wondering, man, I wish I had my glasses and they were hung around my neck. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you. We talked about how God is drawn to brokenness. God is drawn to brokenness. And a lot of times in life we get to a place where we're broken before God. We get to a place of surrender. That was one of the inevitable things that we talked about. The other was how cement cracks when you pour it. No matter how good the finishes are, what kind of weather you have, cement's going to crack. Another thing was that everybody on this earth is going to die and stand before judgment. The Bible says it's appointed for man once to die and then stand before judgment. So that's inevitable. That's inevitable. And another inevitable thing is that we're going to reach a point in life at some point that we're going to be broken. And God is drawn to brokenness. As Donna was saying, we pray. We, we, when we pray, we cry out to God. And when we cry out to God from a place of desperation, it's a desperate prayer that reaches the throne of heaven. <clears throat> and moves the hand of God. A desperate cry. God, every time Jesus moved, he moved with compassion and love to a person that was in a place of desperation. So last week we talked about Jesus' trip to Calvary, to the cross, down the Via Dolorosa. And this week, this is the broken road, the journey to Emmaus. We're talking about the morning after. His journey from the grave from the cross, from the grave, on to a road called Emmaus where he met two disciples, two followers, and they traveled on the road to Emmaus. So let's get started. I want to paint a picture for you. It was resurrection morning. Jesus had just resurrected from the grave, just as he said he would do. He had 40 days before he ascended to heaven. He had the keys to hell, death, and the grave. He gave the devil a big black eye as the angels rolled the stone away and as he came out of the grave. 
all of hell was trembling because the temple that they just destroyed rebuilt himself in three days, just as he said he would do. Just as he said he would do. He was risen. And this is our Easter service, so he is risen. Yeah. Just as he said he would do. The women were going to the tomb that morning, and they were going to bring spices to, to, bear, to, to put with Jesus' body. And they didn't find Jesus. And the angel told them, he said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? I think sometimes we miss out on God's presence in our life. Sometimes we miss out on God's power in our life. We miss out on resurrection power. We miss out on redeeming power, the power of redemption. We miss out on the restoration power of God. Maybe we're looking in the wrong place. I think a lot of people are looking in the wrong place. They're looking for the living among the dead. They may be looking in dead relationships. They may be looking in dead churches. They may be looking in dead religions. But he's not there anymore. He's risen. He's the risen Savior. He's alive. And the Holy Spirit is alive in us. He's seated at the right hand of God. And the Holy Spirit is alive in us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He's risen. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The Bible says that when we stand before God, every mouth will be stopped. We won't have any excuse why we didn't do it here on earth. So a lot of people need to do it here on earth because when we stand before God, we won't have any excuse. We won't have any excuse. It'll be too late. So Jesus, he's, he's no longer in the grave. And he has 40 days before he ascends to heaven. He has a lot to do. He has a lot of people to see. He has over 500 people that need to witness him. He has key acquaintances that he needs to meet. He's got Peter to see and places to go. <laughs> he has a lot to do. So what is he going to do? Where is he going to go? What should Jesus do? The biggest day in history. The biggest day. And what does Jesus do? What he does next will surprise a lot of us. What he does next is not logical. It's not practical. It's not even efficient. It doesn't make sense. What he does, does next, he takes a walk. He takes a walk. Come walk with me tonight. Let's go walk in the word. Lace up your shoes. Go grab your flip-flops. Will y'all walk with me tonight? Let's go walk in the word. So 40 days, Jesus has 40 days before he's ascended. And he goes for a walk down a little dirt road to a small village called Emmaus. It's a small village. It's, it's not even discovered yet. I mean, the Bible says that little town of Bethlehem, this wasn't even a town. It was a village. If you go to Jerusalem today, the tour guides say this might be where Emmaus is because they really don't know. They really don't know. Aren't you glad that God cares about people from podunk towns like White Castle and Addis and Irwinville and, and Livonia? I'm thinking of Fordosh and Tor Torbid. We was in Torbid and we were standing on, on Miss Brother David's front porch and they was like this is Torbid I was like where right here I was like where 
Aren't you glad that God cares about people from small towns? That's the kind of God we serve. You don't have to live in Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Lake Charles, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, New York. You could live here in Irwinville and God will come and find you. God will come and find you where you are. No matter where you are, you could be on a dirt road walking to Emmaus and God will find you. So Jesus is walking. He's walking and he meets up with these two people that we never heard before. Two followers of him. We probably would still never hear about them if Jesus wouldn't have met up with them. And they were going toward Emmaus. Jesus died in Jerusalem. The Passover was in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was promised to be in Jerusalem. And here was Jesus walking away from Jerusalem. Jesus left where the Holy Spirit was promised. And he walked away from Jerusalem. He walked away from where the 118 people were praying to follow two people. He walked away from the 118 to follow two. What kind of God is this? This is the kind of God that will speak to you in a room of 200 people and speak to you personally. This is the kind of God that will find you in a small podunk town and tell you how much he loved you, how much he has a plan and a purpose for your life. This is the kind of God. It's a personal God. It's a God that points you out out of a room of a thousand to speak to you, to encourage you, to tell you that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says, The thoughts I think toward you are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Ma'am, sir, have you ever thought about that? God thinks about you. God thinks about us. God has thoughts about me. Billions and trillions of people in the world, and God thinks about each and every one of us. The Bible says, for the joy set before us, before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus had a thought about every one of us. He's a personal savior. So Jesus was leaving Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and he was walking, and he was walking down this little dirt road to a city called Emmaus, a small city. I think sometimes we look for God in the destinations, but God is found in the details. Sometimes we look for God in the dramatic climax of where we're going, but God is found along the journey. He's found along the journey, just as in this story. that He was found with the two travelers on the road to Emmaus. God, the creator of the universe, walked away from Jerusalem, walked down the dirt road, walked with the two people. He's with us on the first step. He's with us on the second step. He's with us when we write. He's with us when we roam. He's with us when we fail. He's with us when we succeed. He's with us. He talks to us. He walks to us because that's the God that we serve. He's a risen God. He's a risen God, and he's with each and every one of us. Come on, somebody. Whew. He's the God of the detours. He's the God of the detours. We talked about detours. You know, detours are something that you don't plan for, you don't pack for, and you don't ask for. Sometimes we ask God. I know I've said to God, Lord, I didn't ask for this. 
I didn't plan for this. I didn't expect the medicine not to work. I didn't expect my life to be here in this place. I didn't expect that. Sometimes life doesn't unfold the way we expect. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes we waiting for our own understanding before we start the journey. Before we start the journey. God told Abraham, Abraham, leave the Ur of the Chaldeans and go to a place, to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham picked up his family. He picked up his, his possessions. He picked up his tent and he left and he walked out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He left his family. He left his security. And he left his comfort zone. He left his comfort zone. He had everything. He had his family around him. He was in the inheritance line. And he left for a place that he didn't even know about. He left his comfort zone. What is our comfort zone? Our comfort zone is where we used to be at, where we're used to being at. It's where we feel safe. It's where we feel secure. It's where we feel in control. It's where we're not stepping out and being challenged. I'll tell you where my comfort zone was. Paul, Barbin, no offense. My comfort zone was running the soundboard. My comfort zone was out in the back where nobody could see me. That was my comfort zone. I didn't have to be challenged. I didn't have to be stretched. I didn't have to be prayed up, I, even though I did have to be prayed up. But that was my comfort zone. In fact, a lot of people didn't even realize I was there. I'd speak to people, and they'd say, what church you go to? I said, I go to the river. They said, well, I've been going to the river. I've never seen you. <laughs> I was hiding. I was in my comfort zone. But God wants us to step out. He wants us to step out of our comfort zone. He's waiting for us to take the first step. Sometimes that first step is all he's waiting for until he opens the windows of heaven and begins to bless us. We talked about a few sermons ago about a wide receiver and a quarterback and how they get in the huddle and they talk about what's fixing to happen. The quarterback says, I want you to run a flag route, turn to the right, go three yards and pivot. And he's expecting that to happen. That's the plan. So the quarterback, they hike the ball. He sees him heading that direction. He releases the ball, not to where the receiver's at, but where the receiver's going. He expects him to be there. He releases the pass. The receiver will catch the pass if he's where he needs to be, but he may be, get tripped up. He may get confused. He may get turned around. He may forget what he's doing. And if he's not in the proper place, he's not going to receive the pass and catch it and make the score. A lot of times we have to be where God wants us to be or expects us to be or else we're outside of his plan. We're outside of his purpose. For us to receive the provision from God, then we have to be in the plan and in the purpose and in the place that he expects us to be in. As we step out on our journey, our journey grows. As we step out on our journey, our journey unfolds. As we go on our journey, God is with us. But we have to go. We have to step out. Let's look in Luke 24, verse 13, and we'll get in the word.
Luke 24, verse 13. I'm going to read all the way down to 17. This is the story of the road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had just happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Emmaus was a seven-mile journey. A seven-mile journey. The number of completion in the Bible. When the Israelites and Joshua walked around Jericho, they walked seven times until the walls came completely down and they were able to take the city. When God created the earth, he created it in six days. And on the seventh day, he rests, not because he was tired, but because he was done. He was finished. It was complete. It's the number of completion. Seven. I love the word of God, how it ties everything together. <laughs> in verse 15, it says, So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This road begins for the travelers as a road of distraction. It was a road of depression. It was a road of despair until Jesus intervened. Until Jesus intervened. Distractions come in many forms, just like in the parable of the sower and the seed. You know, the sower went out and sowed the seed and some fell by the wayside and the birds came and they took it and then he sowed some more seed and some fell on stony ground and it started to grow but it didn't take root because the ground was stony and it withered away. And then he sowed some more seed and it, it landed on ground and it started to grow but the ground had a lot of weeds in it and the weeds started choking the good fruit, the good, the good growth, the good seed. And that's what distractions do in our life. They start to choke us out. They start to, to, to turn us around. They have us going in the wrong direction. Just as these two were going away from Jericho. I mean, Jerusalem. Sorry. Away from Jerusalem. Let's look in verse 16. Verse 16 says, But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. They were walking on this road, and here comes Jesus, strolling up right on the side of them. Jesus snuck right in on them. You ever felt that you can't get away from Jesus? You ever felt that you can't hide? Jesus finds us. Jesus finds us. I was in a bad place one time. I was distracted. I was in despair. I was depressed. I was discombobulated. I was thinking bad things, and Jesus found me. My phone rang. I looked down, and it said, Pastor. I'm like, right now? <laughs> and he came, and he found me, and that's why I'm here today. Jesus will find you. If you're turned around, Jesus will find you. God wants you to know tonight, if you're turned around, if you're confused, if you're distracted, Grace will chase you down. 
grace will chase you down. Distractions will keep us from seeing the resurrection power in front of us. Distractions will keep us from seeing the resurrection power in front of us. Resurrection power begins when we ask ourselves, what is keeping me from seeing resurrection power in this moment? What's keeping me from seeing resurrection power in this moment? Not only the presence of God beside me, not only the presence of God around me, but the power of the resurrection inside of me. What's keeping me from seeing God's presence in my family, in my kids, on my job, in my walk? What's keeping me? What's distracting me? Pastor Butch said it this morning in Bible college. He said, it's easy to say, Lord, come into this temple. But what about come into this temple? Have we asked God to come into this temple? Have we asked him to fill us with resurrection power with the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us and seated at the right hand of God and is alive forevermore inside of us? Have we asked him to come into our temple? We look for God in the dramatic places of our life, but sometimes he's found in just the small details. What was keeping them from seeing God? What was keeping them from seeing Jesus? You know, sometimes we don't recognize the patterns that'll bring us that become behaviors. We don't recognize the patterns in our life that become behaviors. And the behaviors take us to a place in our life that we look and we say, I'm not happy with this place that I'm at. This, this, this is not where I want to be. And we don't even realize what got us there because we're distracted. We don't even realize how we got in this place. A lot of times, attractions will become addictions. And then our thoughts will become actions. And our actions will become behaviors. And our behaviors will become habits. And our habits will become a lifestyle. And then we need God's resurrection power to get us off where we got to because we were distracted. I'm telling you tonight, recognize God. Recognize God where you are. Recognize God on your journey. And the God who rose from the dead will get you out of where you are. I believe chains are breaking tonight. I believe walls are coming down tonight. I believe God's taking the limits off of lives tonight. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your resurrection power that's moving us from the place that we got ourselves into and moving us to a walk closer with you tonight. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. God will use what you're going through to reveal his glory. God will use what you're going through to reveal his glory. For I think that the for I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time is nothing to compare to the glory that will be revealed in me. The sufferings that we're going through now are nothing to be compared to the glory. The sufferings are temporary if we keep our eyes on Christ. The sufferings in this, this path, this life, this journey, this walk, this, this road that we're on are only temporary if we keep our eyes on God. You know, 
It's the little things in the word that I find so interesting. I'm kind of quirky like that. Right, Chris? <laughs> it's the little things that I find so interesting. We talked last week about how Jesus was on a mountain and he saw the apostles rowing across the sea and the storm came up and he walked over to them across the sea on the water and they rowing and they all seen him and they all yelled, it's a ghost! And I know Jesus had to laugh. I know he had to laugh because I believe Jesus has a sense of humor. And what about when they were in the upper room and all the doors were locked and they were scared because the church was coming under persecution and Jesus walked in through the door, through the wall, and they all freaked out. He said, don't be afraid, it's just me. I know he had to laugh because my God has a sense of humor. Those are things that you have to dig deep in the word to see. If we read the Bible like a storybook, the Holy Spirit will never speak to us in our situation. But we got to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what's behind the letters that are just on the page. What's the spirit behind the letters? What's the nuggets? What's the gems? What is he trying to tell us? There was another parable that all my life I took wrong. It was the woman who was forgiven. It was this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to trip, trip Jesus up. So they brought her to him, and they were convicted, and they all left, and she was left with Jesus. And he said, where's your accuser? She said, I have none. He said, well, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. But that's not how it went at all. That's the way I took it because I hadn't forgave her. But Jesus had already forgiven her. But in my mind, she had committed the act. She had done the deed, but I hadn't forgave her, and I seen that that's what Jesus did. And I asked the Holy Spirit, show me. Show me what's behind this. So Jesus was teaching one morning, and all of the people gathered around. And it was a quiet morning, and the birds were chirping, and it was, the sky was clear, and you could hear for miles. And he heard this noise coming, and he looked, and he seen a crowd coming, but he kept, kept preaching. He sat back down and started teaching, and he heard this noise getting louder. And then all of a sudden, the scribes and the Pharisees threw this woman on the ground at Jesus' feet, kicked her, screaming. She was crying. She was a mess. And she was on the ground at Jesus' feet. And everybody wonders what Jesus wrote in the dirt. What Jesus did was he bent down and he got on her level because she was at his feet. He got down on her level and she looked into the eyes of a man that had love and compassion like a man that she never knew before. A man that could never love her like this man that she's looking at. She was a mess. Jesus operated out of love and compassion to calm her down. And he got on her level and she seen into his eyes. And then Jesus stood up and the conviction was on the people around him. So one by one they dropped the stone. From the oldest to the youngest they walked away. And then Jesus was left there with the woman. And the woman stood up in front of Jesus, in front of the Heavenly Father, in front of God himself, the Word, covered with dirt, full of mud, hair all messed up, leaves probably in her hair, crying a mess. And Jesus looked at her with those eyes, the same eyes that look at us when we sin, the same eyes that do not judge us, the same eyes of love and compassion. 
And he looked at her. He said, where are your accusers? She said, I have none. And I believe Jesus smiled at her because he had forgave her when it first came. He smiled at her. He couldn't touch her because that was a different culture, but I believe in our culture, he probably would have put his hands on her shoulders and said, neither do I forgive you. Go and sin no more. It wasn't, a, neither do I forgive you. It wasn't out of scolding. It was out of love. And that's what we have to see in the scripture. I ask you tonight to let the Holy Spirit give you a revelation of the words that I have to share with you. Not the words that I'm saying, but let your spirit catch the spirit that's behind the words that I'm saying tonight. Let it touch your heart. Let it give you a revelation of who Jesus is. So verse 15 to 17. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so they did not see or know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Let's look at how it unfolded. They were walking down the road, sad, arguing with each other, conversing with each other. And here is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the word that was with God, that was God, that was manifested in the flesh, that dwelt among us, that is seated at the right hand of God, walks up to Cleopas and he said, what y'all talking about? What y'all talking about? What y'all talking about? Like Jesus didn't know what they were talking about. God. And then in verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happen there in these days? Here was Cleo. We can call him Cleo. That's his nickname. That's what his friends call him. So here was Cleo talking to the creator of the universe. And he was treating him like a guest. He was treating him like a guest. He was distracted. He didn't even realize who he was talking to. He continues to say, Have you not known the things which happened in the past three days? And Jesus says, What things? I think Jesus needs an Academy Award. <laughs> How could he keep a straight face? What things? What things? What things? Jesus had to chuckle, right? He had to keep it. I know Jesus was laughing on the inside. You know when you're trying to pull a wool over somebody and you're telling yourself, keep a straight face, keep a straight face, keep a straight face. Keep a straight face. Jesus had to be laughing on the inside. I mean... Jesus had just risen from the dead. Jesus had just kicked the devil in the face. Jesus was pumped. He was feeling good. And here he is. What things? What things? So, Cleo begins in verse 19. And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, 
and word before God and all the people. Here he is standing in front of the great I am, and he says he was. He says he was. Are we missing our what is if we stay in and what was? We have to get on the journey. We have to go past the what was and go into the what is. You see, Cleo was looking for a Messiah. Cleo was looking for a savior. They were looking a savior. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a military leader. They were looking for someone to save them from the Romans, Medes, Persians, and the Greece. That was all Jerusalem's enemy. They were looking for somebody to establish an earthly kingdom. But Jesus didn't come to be the king of an earthly kingdom. Jesus came to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He didn't come to be an earthly king. He had higher plans. He had a higher purpose than what they saw. He had a higher purpose than what Cleo saw. So I'm telling you, if, if you're on a detour in life, don't get distracted. Don't get dis disappointed. We have to get the distractions out of our life. We can't allow us to be distracted. The Bible says it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. It's the small distractions that can trip us up, that can make us not see the resurrection life that's in front of us. Don't let the small things of this world stop you from doing big things with God. Don't let the small things in this world, the things that don't mean anything, the things that are not important, the things that are only temporary, the things that you can change stop you from doing the big things in God. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Here he was. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Cleo knew something. Cleo knew that on the third day something was supposed to happen. Yes, and certain women of our company, this is Cleo speaking. Yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying they had also seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb. You see, Cleo was in the inner circle. Cleo was a follower of Jesus. Cleo was in the know. Cleo was in the know. But why didn't he know Jesus? What was keeping him from recognizing Jesus? He goes on to say in verse 24, which is probably the most ironic thing in the Bible. He says, were with us, went to the tomb, and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. But Jesus they did not see. Here's Cleo telling Jesus that they can't find Jesus. <laughs> He's telling Jesus, we can't find Jesus. I mean, really. He's not in the tomb, Cleo. He's on the road. He's not in dead religion. He's in relationships. He's in relationships. He's in the word, the living word, the word that's alive. He's not in a storybook. 
Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes, Heavenly Father. Let us see you in our life. Let us see you in our family. Let us see you in our kids. Let us see you on the job. Let us see you in our finances. Let us see you in our walk. Let us see you in our talk. Lord, come, let us see you move, Lord God. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. He says, then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophet. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Slow of heart. You know, sometimes we can hear the word, we can read the word, we can memorize the word, but we, if we don't believe it in our heart, then we won't see the promises of God manifest in our lives. We have to believe the word in our heart. It's not enough to just hear it, read it, and memorize it. We have to believe it. He was saying slow of heart. Cleo knew. Cleo heard. Cleo was following him. Cleo should have recognized him. Just like when we follow somebody on Facebook, we can recognize them because we see their pictures all over the place. Cleo should have known that was Jesus. Cleo heard Jesus preach, but he was slow to believe. He was 18 inches away from understanding. 18 inches away from his brain to his heart. He had it here, but he didn't believe it. He didn't walk in it. He didn't believe it. So in verse 27, and beginning in Moses, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures and things concerning himself. All the scriptures. Jesus brought it all the way back. He brought it all the way back to Genesis. He brought it all the way back to the books that Moses wrote, and he started there. And he started expounding all the scriptures. If I could go back to one place, I would love to go back to this point right here. And this is when the story shifts. This is when the shift happens. This is when the, turn, the story takes a turn right here. Jesus starts expounding on all of the scriptures. The 346 messianic prophecies of Jesus coming from when his heel would bruise the serpent's head all the way into Isaiah when it was prophesied that he would be wounded for our, our sins and bruised for our transgressions. And the chastisement of our peace, for our peace would be upon him. And that all, everything would be, all our iniquities would be laid on him. He started expounding on all of these scriptures to Cleo and Cleo's friend. And their hearts were burning inside of them. Because they were starting to get revelation knowledge. They were starting to see. They were starting to understand. They were starting to believe in their heart. And I don't think Jesus was mad at him. You know, because in my mind, first thing I would think, man, he was the authority of God. And he was just expounding and nailing him with these scriptures. But I think he was walking with him as a friend. I think he was speaking to him as a friend, as a buddy on the road. Because, you see, people used to want to hang around Jesus. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. If Jesus was always hammering them, he wouldn't have had a following. He had all the authority of Christ, but he had the, all the love and all the compassion of the crucified Savior. So their hearts were burning inside of them. 
When we get revelation on the word of God, when we get revelation of the true Jesus, of who Jesus is, our hearts burn inside of us. There's a fire that begins to burn inside of us that we can't contain. We can't keep to ourselves. Jeremiah said it's like a fire shut up in our bones. We can't hold it in sometimes. We can't be silent. We have to go out and tell people. We have to post it all over Facebook. We can't keep it to ourselves when we get revelation on the word of God. And this is what was happening to them. They were getting revelation. Jesus was revealing to Cleo who he was on the journey. Jesus will reveal to you who he is on your journey. It's not what happens to you. It's what he wants to do through you is the reason that you're on the journey that you're on. Jesus loves us, and he wants to make us beautiful in the broken places. In the broken places of our life, he wants to make us beautiful. There's a Japanese art form called kintsugi that when a pottery gets broken, they take glue, and they mix the glue with gold, potter, gold powder, and they glue it back together, and the, the pottery becomes stronger and more valuable than when it was first created. And that's what Jesus does with us when we're broken. He puts us back together with something that makes us more beautiful than we were before we got broken. Jesus doesn't break people. Jesus fixes broken people. These two followers were on this journey, and they were distracted. They were depressed. They were in despair. They had lost all hope until hope walked up to them and gave them life again, until hope walked in their boat, until hope came up to them and gave them encouragement. Hope met them on the broken road. Hope will meet us where we are, in a podunk town, in a place where nobody could find us, underneath the oak tree of the LSU lakes where I was. Hope will find us because he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. So let's look in verse 28. I'm coming up to a close. I'm wrapping it up. Verse 28 says, they, Then they drew near to a village where they were going, and he indicated he would go further. You see, Jesus will never press himself into a place that he's not welcome. Jesus is a welcome gentleman. He won't push himself into people's lives. Jesus can fix any broken heart. He can mend any broken heart. He can fix any heart except the heart that's closed to him. We have to choose to open our heart and allow Jesus to come in and work. We have to make that decision. It's our choice. We have to drop the walls that we've placed up because other people have hurt us. We have to take the limitations off. We have to unlock the doors that we've closed that we don't want to let Jesus into because we know there's skeletons in those closets. It's our choice. Jesus won't push his way in unless we open the door. So in verse 29 it says, But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. They constrained him. They strongly insisted that Jesus would go further. That was like going visit my mama when she had food. She would strongly insist that you would eat that food. In fact, you wasn't leaving until you ate. 
you wasn't leaving. Their hearts burned within them. They wouldn't let go. They didn't want to let him go any farther. They wanted to hear more of what Jesus had to say. They wanted to get more revelation of what Jesus was saying. They were captivated by the words of life that this stranger was revealing to them. You see, what happened to them was they were beginning to get their thinking corrected. That's what Jesus does. When we spend time with Jesus, he changes the way we think. He changes our perspective. He makes us our perspective line up with the provision that he has to carry out the plans and purposes in our life. He corrects our stinking thinking. Lord, search our hearts today. Search our minds, Lord God. If there's a place that our minds need corrected, I ask that you correct it. I ask that you correct it. I ask that you correct it. Praise you, Father. I want to get to the best part of the story. And I'm going to close here. And then we're going to have altar call. But this part in verse 30, it says, Now it came to pass. He sat at a table with them. He sat at a table with them and took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. You see, this was the role in their culture of the father. This was the role of the master. In fact, this was Jesus' role when he was went with the disciples because he was the master. He was the one to break the bread. He was the one to bless the bread. Jesus came in as a stranger. Cleo said, are you the only stranger here in Jerusalem? He came in as a stranger. He came in as a visitor. But he came in and he took over. God wants to take over our lives because he loves us. But we have to allow him. We have to open up to him. We have to say, Lord, you, it's your plan that I want. It's your purposes. Because your plan and purposes are much better than what I can come up with. Because I hadn't done too well by this point. So we allowed Jesus to come in and take over. So he did. He came in. And the Bible says he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave it to him. But all of this time, Cleo and his friend didn't see that as Jesus. He didn't see that as Jesus. And all of this time, we've been saying, what's, what's keeping, is it a spiritual veiling? What's going on? What's keeping Cleo and his friend from seeing this as Jesus? So Jesus came in, and he took the bread, and he broke the bread. Just as Jesus' body was broken for us, just as Jesus' body was beaten for us, Jesus, just as Jesus' body was torn for us, the living Savior, the Messiah, the one who, this was after the resurrection, Jesus broke the bread. And they saw something. They saw something. He broke the bread. He blessed the bread. And when he gave them the bread, they saw something. I believe they saw the scars on Jesus' hand and their eyes were open to who Jesus was. You see, Jesus still has the scars of what he went through for us because he wants us to remember that he took it for us, that we don't have to be limited, that we don't have to be in depression, that we don't have to be pressed down, we don't have to be oppressed, we don't have to have limitations on us. He took that for us and their eyes were open. Their eyes were open and their hearts that were burning inside of them, they ran all the way back seven miles 
seven miles. It was a different mile. You see, the road to Emmaus is a two-way street. The road to Emmaus is a two-way street. The road to Emmaus can be a road of distraction. It could be a road of, of, of wrong direction, but it's also a road back. It's a road back to the 118 that were praying in the upper room because when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was 120 in the upper room. And those two made it back. Those two made it back. His resurrection, His power, His spirit, Jesus is here with us today. Jesus is here with us today. I want to close here. If the worship team can come back up. Praise you, Lord God. You see, Jesus took everything for us. We don't have to walk the broken road anymore. Not saying that we won't go through things in life, but we don't have to be beat up. We don't have to be held down. We don't have to be slaves to what's holding us. We can take hold of the Savior. We can take hold of the promises of God, the words of God, the living God and move with Jesus because of what he done for us. You might be here tonight and have never asked Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This, we, we're celebrating this as the day that he resurrected from the dead. Jesus did rise and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And sir, ma'am, you will stand in front of a loving, compassionate Savior that no matter how big your mistakes how big your sins. If you confess your sins to him, he will forgive you. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he will be Lord of your life. And when God looks at you, he won't see failure and sin. He'll see the righteousness of Christ. So I ask you to check your heart. If you've ever publicly confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you tonight. I don't know where you all are. But if you have, with every head bowed, I just ask you to raise your hand. And I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray with you tonight. Don't leave here tonight not knowing that if you don't make it, if something would happen, God forbid that it does. But if it does, we're not promised tomorrow. But don't leave here tonight not knowing that you won't stand in front of a loving, compassionate Savior that sees you as righteousness and forgiven. If you're here tonight, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. This is serious. You so everybody here is saved. Everybody here has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You might be here tonight and you may have been walking on a broken road. You may have been walking in a place that you don't like, that you're discontent with. You may be at a place of discontentment in your life that you want to get past. I want to pray with you tonight. I want to pray just as me and Mike prayed that God would open up the doors and give him a job. Open up the windows of heaven. We ask that God would open up the French doors, the big ones, and give him a big blessing. And he did. I want to pray with you tonight. If you're struggling with something that you can't get past, I want to stand in agreement with you and pray with you tonight. I ask that you come up to the altar right now. Don't miss this opportunity. The risen God, the risen Savior, 
the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world is with us tonight and I want to pray with you that God would deliver you and release you from where you are you may be in here tonight you may be here tonight and you're not seeing the resurrection power of God you're not seeing God move in your life you're not seeing God move in your family you're not seeing God move in your children you're not seeing the resurrection life of God move in your finances you're not seeing God move in your health and your well-being. I want to pray with you tonight because the resurrected God is here tonight. He's alive, he's risen, and he's with us, and he wants to touch you tonight. And we have, we want to pray with you tonight. So if you're here in any of what I just said, I ask you to come to the altar now. Don't miss this opportunity. God wants to do something big in your life. God wants to touch you. The altar is going to be open. Just any time if you need prayer for anything specific, just come up and we'll pray with you. Trump inside. 
between 